Greetings. Thank you all for returning. We extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. I am Pastor John, welcoming our global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word, thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Last week, we noticed that our sufferings not only produce endurance, our sufferings produce as well patience, steadfastness, and suffering works perseverance. We are not to consider these aforementioned qualities as a punishment, a curse, or a calamity, but as a fit subject of joy. Meaning, we are to count it all joy. We should regard it as a thing to rejoice in, a matter which should afford us happiness. Our enemy, the devil, is the one who offers temptations to us. He never tells us to sin, since we are easily manipulated by what we see and hear in this regard. Furthermore, our feelings can be easily mixed into this. What we feel is a great manipulator in the cause to get us to sin. What we feel influences the heart and mind as well as the heart and mind deepening our feelings. This is the downward spiral that causes us to sin. There is a building that goes on in our life if we are committed to God and saved by Christ. Our endurance increases and helps build character. Our character also is built, which builds our hope. Right away, this should make it an obvious thing that we are not born with sound endurance, character, and hope. These need to be built in us over time, not... To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, The Expectation of Justification, Part 2, posted on February 25th. This week, our study is titled, The Expectation of Justification, Part 3. Our scripture reads, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, because we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, how much more, since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have now received this reconciliation. From Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. This opens a new view of the subject, 
For it is a new argument to show that our hope will not make ashamed or will not disappoint us. The first argument he had stated in the previous verse, that the Holy Ghost was given to us. The next, which he now states, is that God had given the most ample proof that he would save us by giving his Son when we were sinners, and that he who had done so much for us when we were enemies would not now fail us when we are his friends. He has performed the more difficult part of the work by reconciling us when we were enemies, and he will not now forsake us, but will carry forward and complete what he has begun. From Barnes, New Testament Notes. Mr. Barnes said, the first argument he had stated in the previous verse, that the Holy Ghost was given to us. The Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, was given to us. That alone should strike us as an astounding and incomprehensible thing. Notice, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, who was given to us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Secondly, the next, which he now states, is that God had given the most ample proof that he would save us by giving his Son when we were sinners, and that he who had done so much for us when we were enemies would not now fail us when we are his friends. It should be noted, we became a friend of God when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by asking him to forgive us our sins, past, present, and future. An obvious conclusion is that by receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, by asking him to forgive us our sins, God has given the most ample proof that he would save us by giving us his son when we were sinners. This is not to go unnoticed by us, especially those who are yet to be saved by Jesus Christ's gift to us, salvation. Further, we were yet without strength. The word here used is usually applied to those who are sick and feeble, deprived of strength by disease. But it is also used in a moral sense to denote inability or feebleness with regard to any undertaking or duty. Here it means that we were without strength in regard to the case which the apostle was considering. That is, we had no power to devise a scheme of justification, to make an atonement, or to put away the wrath of God, etc. While all hope 
of man's being saved by any plan of his own was thus taken away while he was thus lying exposed to divine justice and dependent on the mere mercy of God, God provided a plan which met the case and secured his salvation. The remark of the apostle here has reference only to the condition of the race before an atonement is made. It does not pertain to the question whether man has strength to repent and to believe after an atonement is made, which is a very different inquiry. From Barnes, New Testament Notes. Clearly, even more so if we are unsaved in Christ, we are without strength. The strength needed to be as we are when we are saved by Christ. The main issue being that, how can mankind make a way of atonement that is every bit as pleasing to God as his own means of human atonement? Remember, we were without strength in regard to the case which the apostle was considering. That is, we have no power to devise a scheme of justification, to make an atonement, or to put away the wrath of God. While all hope of man's being saved by any plan of his own was thus taken away, while he was thus lying exposed to divine justice, independent on the mere mercy of God, God provided a plan which met the case and secured his salvation. It does not pertain to the question whether man has strength to repent and to believe after an atonement is made, which is a very different inquiry. This quote from Mr. Barnes tells us something mankind seems often to forget in this endeavor to find a place with God without salvation. Quote, we have no power to devise a scheme of justification, to make an atonement, or to put away the wrath of God while all hope of man's being saved by any plan of his own was thus taken away. That means that salvation is either by God's way or not at all. We can invent in our minds and hearts a means of thinking we are saved in Christ even when that is impossible, if Mr. Barnes' comment is correct. If we search, we can find easily that our Bibles affirm this as correct. Quoting, Those who do not worship God, it here means sinners in general, and does not differ materially from what is meant by the word translated, quote, without strength, unquote, from Barnes' New Testament Notes. Moving forward, verse 7 reads, For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person perhaps someone might possibly 
appear to die. This confirms the difference of Jesus Christ dying for mankind. Even if a person saves another from an oncoming bus, did they also save them from their death caused by their unforgiven sins? That question has an easy answer, doesn't it? While a person can save another from an impending, unfolding situation, one cannot save another soul from their sins. Again, we can find this in our Bibles. Referring to verse 7, the design of this verse and the following is to illustrate the great love of God by comparing it with what man was willing to do. It is an unusual occurrence, an event which is all that we can hope for from the highest human benevolence and the purest friendship that one would be willing to die for a good man. There are none who would be willing to die for a man who was seeking to do us injury, to make false and malicious statements, to slander our character, to destroy our happiness or our property. But Christ was willing to die for bitter foes. From Barnes, New Testament Notes. Notice how Mr. Barnes opens his commentary statement. The design of this verse and the following is to illustrate the great love of God. How? By comparing it with what man was willing to do. Would you save a bank robber as Christ will? Would you save a killer as Christ will? Would you save someone who seeks to violently destroy your happiness as Christ would? Given my observations over my lifetime, I am sure the answer to all three of these questions is no. The scope of the apostle is this, to set forth the transcendency of Christ's love in dying for the ungodly, to show that it is beyond all human example, and that there can be no resemblance, much less any parallel of it. He loved us and gave himself for us. Had he only as an advocate spoken and pleaded for us, his condescension had been admirable and his love unspeakable. But to die, yes, to die for us, to be not only our mediator, but redeemer, not only our redeemer, but our ransom. Here is love beyond comparison. Blessed Jesus, was ever love like his? From Expository Notes and Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Notice first, had he only as an advocate spoken and pleaded for us, his condescension had been admirable and his love unspeakable. Yet, we need to notice further 
how much better than that Christ was and is for us. To die, yes, to die for us, to be not only our mediator, redeemer, not only our redeemer, but our ransom. Here is love beyond comparison. Blessed Jesus, was ever love like his? That alone is the difference between Jesus Christ and anybody else. Jesus Christ was not only our mediator, redeemer, but he was also our ransom. That makes his love for us beyond comparison. No human, regardless of how they seem or what they convincingly say, can compare to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. With Easter not too far off at the first release time of this episode, this is a good thing to remember. Verse 8 reads, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Observe here how the scripture distinctly represents the love of God in giving Christ to die for us, as well as Christ's love in dying for us. God commended his love, declared expressed, and made manifest his love to us. Christ's death is often represented in scripture as an instance of the great love of the Father toward us, because his wisdom did contrive this way of our redemption, and he was graciously accepted of his Son's sufferings in our stead. Verily, the giving heaven itself, with all its joys and glory, is not so full and perfect a demonstration of the love of God as the giving of his Son to die for us, especially if we consider one endeavoring circumstance of this love of God which he commended towards us, namely, that it warmed the heart of God from all eternity and was never interpreted that it warmed the heart of God from all eternity and was never interpreted in that vast duration. Our salvation by Christ is the product of God's eternal counsel, that is, the fruit of his everlasting love before the world began. We were in the eyes, yes, in and upon the heart of God. Learn hence that the death of Christ for sinners is an evident demonstration of the love of God, the Father, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. God commends his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament, 
by William Burkett. Let us dig deeper. First, heaven itself, with all its joys and glory, is not so full and perfect a demonstration of the love of God as the giving of his Son to die for us. This comment gives us an idea of how magnificent our salvation is. Heaven itself, with all its joys and glory, cannot compare to the full and perfect demonstration of the love of God. Think for a moment. How fantastic is our salvation if all of heaven, if all that is in heaven, cannot compare to how magnificent our salvation in Christ truly is. That is something that we cannot fully comprehend. Yes, we can have some idea of how great a thing this is, but until we have seen heaven and all its wonderful things, only then will we have a better comprehension of this comparison. Yet, despite this incredible comparison, many people can still refuse salvation in Christ under the notion that their present life is more free and better filled with joy and glory. For example, the mere happiness one experiences in good times and when good things happen. The glory one relishes when they win a competition, for example. However, can either that kind of joy or glory compare to the joy and glory of being in heaven with Jesus Christ? Noting further, the death of Christ for sinners is an evident demonstration of the love of God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We should surely note there is a gaping chasm between sinful mankind and God. God's love for mankind to be free of mankind's sinful nature. Yet, this chasm is bridged by our sincerely asking for forgiveness of our sins and then receiving it as God freely gives. Christ is that bridge across this chasm. Verse 9 reads, Much more then, because we have been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. As if the apostle had said, He that loved us when we were enemies will not damn us now we are his children. He that reconciled us to himself by his son's death, that is, for the sake of his son's sufferings and satisfaction, will certainly save us from wrath to come by his life, or for the sake of his prevailing intercession. If when enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Here note, 
that this word if is not a word of doubting, but of argumentation. The apostle supposes it a known truth or a principle yielded by all Christians that the death of Christ was to reconcile sinners unto God. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Birkin. There are two things we want to know more clearly from this commentary passage. First, the Apostle is quoted, He that loved us when we were enemies will not damn us now, we are his children. He that reconciled us to himself by his son's death, that is, for the sake of his son's sufferings and satisfaction, will certainly save us from wrath to come by his life or for the sake of his prevailing intercession. Notice, he that loved us when we were enemies will not damn us now we are his children. This also is forgotten by people if they sin and falsely believe they cannot return to their proper place with God. He will not damn us to the consequences of our sin, even if we do not ask for his forgiveness as we are told to do in the Bible. The reasoning is found here. He that reconciled us to himself by his son's death, that is, for the sake of his son's sufferings and satisfaction, will certainly save us from wrath to come by his life. This means that we are truly saved despite what life's situations and our failings in them do to provoke our minds and hearts otherwise. The apostle supposes it a known truth or a principle yielded by all Christians that the death of Christ was to reconcile sinners unto God. We dare not say that God could not have reconciled us any other way but this, but we may safely say that no way like this was so expressive of his love to us. It was the most obliging and endearing way imaginable to reconcile us to himself by the death of his son. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. You once were an enemy of God. You had to be reconciled to God. Now you're no longer an enemy of God. You have been reconciled to God, and the Son of God is no longer dead. He lives eternally. Do you know why he lives? He is alive to save you. The phrase, quote, shall be saved, end quote, means to guide safely through all life's dangers and to bring you into God's glory. Do you think he is able to do that? You can be sure of it. From King Comments Commentary 
on the whole Bible. Notice, despite Jesus' sufferings on the cross, even though he died and was buried in a tomb, he was miraculously raised from the dead. This truly means he is alive to save you. Notice what our commentator said. The phrase, quote, shall be saved, end quote, means to guide safely through all life's dangers and to bring you into God's glory. While not a cross-reference at all, read Psalms 23 nonetheless for more on this. Notice especially verse 4, which reads, Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Why? Because such a person is guided safely through all life's dangers and to bring you to God's glory. In closing, notice also, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. He now passes over to the other part of justification, which consists in the free imputation of the obedience of Christ, so that to the remission of sins there is added moreover and besides the gift of Christ's righteousness imputed or put upon us by faith, which swallows up that unrighteousness which flowed from Adam into us and all the fruits of it, so that in Christ we do not only cease to be unjust, but we begin also to be just. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes. Notice clearly, to the remission of sins, there is added moreover and besides the gift of Christ's righteousness imputed or put upon us by faith, which swallows up that unrighteousness which flowed from Adam into us and all the fruits of it, so that in Christ we do not only cease to be unjust, but we begin also to be just. Next week, our episode is titled, The Amplification of Justification, Part 1. We should note that, before the law was given, sin was in the world. This gives us some idea of how long mankind has been of a sinful nature. To find out more, join us next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts. Or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all 
so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. We are an all-electronic, Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot org. Please type the church of the unchurched as a single word with no hyphen or spaces in unchurched. Also, because we are on a very secure European server, be sure you type the lead HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash as it is required. Be sure you include it in any bookmark you make. This will prevent security load errors. Our site is mobile, tablet, and desktop compliant. Our site also has links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.